Well, what this is, yeah, is this is the last episode to be recorded for 2021. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. It's not in order, but this is literally Mm. the last episode I have to record. And then 2021. We're done. Done. 52 episodes sequentially released. Mm. Didn't miss a week. Nope. Despite a lot going on. Yeah. Nope. Sometimes it was tight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I was editing on a Friday morning, but mm-hmm. we got it all done. Mm. Well, hey, so that's what you get with us. What we lack in <laughs> facts and humour, we make up for in monotonous consistency. Absolutely. I've done, I think the... <laughs> that's the real reason we're called consistently eccentric. Mm. You will keep getting it consistently, whether you want it or not. Yeah, I think the close, the closest to the wire I've ever been is 20 minutes. Prior to the episode going out, I was still doing the artwork You for were. And then you sent it to me with like two minutes to go and went, there you go, it's, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it done. No, it's not. I've got to upload it and read it. Because mm. <clears throat> what the listeners won't know, mm. but you will now dear listeners, is uh, that once an episode goes live, we can't add any artwork to it or anything. So. Which we found out once because I had to sneakily delete the episode and then reload a different episode with a completely... Well, the same episode with a completely new name mm. to trick everything into thinking it was a new episode. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a faff. It, it was a little bit of a faff. And I'm sure there was probably one person who checked at just the wrong time and went... They've not put up a new episode this week. Mm. They're shit. Never listening to them again. Mm. And we're very, very sorry to that person Mm. who isn't listening. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story takes place during the Second Scottish War of Independence. Okay. And unfortunately, you need a bit of backstory for this. Oh, just a little bit, though. I'm going to try and do it as quickly and as simply as I can, okay? Mm. In 1328, the English crown was finally ready to admit that Robert the Bruce (coughs) was king of an independent Scotland. And bring to a close the first war of Scottish independence. Yep. Now, Robert the Bruce who I'm sure you've heard of. I have. Uh, He'd first claimed the crown 22 years earlier in 1306. Wow. But he'd almost immediately been defeated by the forces of Edward I at the Battle of Methven in June of the same year, when the English forces under Aymer de Valance, a good English name, Mm. Aymer de Valance, had bravely responded to the Scottish challenge for an open battle. They'd do battle in the morning. Okay. As they were all feeling a bit tired. Aww. And, much like in cricket to this day, mm-hmm. it was not considered sporting to compete in fading light. <laughs> Valance then waited for the Scottish to get settled, taking off their armour, having a few beers maybe, and some of them probably had gone off to bed, before bravely sneaking out of Perth <laughs> in the dead of night to launch a surprise attack. Wow. To be fair, though, Robert should have known better than to assume the English would stick to their word. Yeah, we're not very good at that. Oh, we are not. There's a reason we're known as perfidious Albion. Mm-hmm. 
The English forces then doubled down on their unchivalrous behaviour mm. by executing everyone they captured, mm. regardless of their rank, or if they'd surrendered, because Edward I really, really hated the Scottish. Wow. And the Welsh. Well, why? And probably the Irish as well. He <clears throat> he just wanted to have... You know, he's one of those people who wanted a united kingdom under him. Wow, OK. And he was very, very clear about the fact that he felt that he, it was his birthright. Mm -hmm. uh, he tried to... Well, he had subjugated the Welsh. He was the guy who subjugated the Welsh and then specifically built towns that Welsh people weren't allowed to live in, in Wales. Oh, is that why that when you go to Wales, everybody speaks Welsh at you and refuses to speak English? It didn't help. It didn't help. Okay. No. I mean, part of that is just people not liking outsiders, but part of it is this sort of cultural hangover of... Mm. Do you remember that time the English came over, invaded and built towns <laughs> that we weren't allowed in? Yeah. Like Landudno. Really? They built towns. They named him Welsh and then <laughs> didn't let us go in. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Unlike most of his nobles, Robert the Bruce managed to escape the slaughter and spent the winter chilling in a cave with the spider to avoid capture by the English. The spider was called? Mr Legs. Okay, he would have named the spider. If you're spending mm. your, win your winter in a cave with a spider, you'd definitely called it. Well, it? I mean, it's, it's um, a bit of a legendary story. So the idea is Robert the Bruce ran away and he hid in a cave. And while he was there overnight... Can you go and visit the cave? I bet there's Robert you, the Bruce's probably, cave. Someone has claimed a cave as yeah. Robert the Bruce's cave and is now charging an entry fee. Yeah. But the the story was that... <laughs> With a spider. Oh, <laughs> and here is the spider. <laughs> he's, he's lived a while. Oh, I have tickled myself. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. But the, the, the story is that he was sort of being pursued by the English. Yeah. And while he was asleep the spider had woven a lovely web over the entrance to the cave and the English soldiers had come to the cave mm. and rather than just search, because it's not a deep cave, they'd gone, there's a spider's web across the front of this cave, therefore no one could be inside, for they would have broken the spider's web. Therefore, we shall not search this cave. You are kidding me. You could have sinned through a spider's web. Mm. Well, what's more likely is that Robert the Bruce spent the winter um, ducking from loyalist safe house to loyalist mm -hmm. safe house, kind of mm -hmm. just ducking and weaving. But I like the spider story better. And then he just chilled with the spider because like, you did me a solid, mate. Well done, Mr. Legs. Yeah, me and you, we're going to talk tactics. Good. So the English, obviously, they assumed he's gone. The question mm -hmm. of an independent Scotland is put to bed. We're, we're basically going to run this show now. Okay. Then... In April 1307, the following year, Robert the Bruce made a Rocky-esque return. He channelled his inner sliced alone. Very good. Despite predating Sly by 700 years or so. Adrian! I knew you'd do that. That's why I put it in. <laughs> Despite being outnumbered more than five to one, Robert the Bruce led a ragtag group of Scots to victory over his nemesis, Amir de Valence. Twice. Okay. <gasps> Very good. Firstly, at a place called Glentrool, where he took advantage of the high ground to literally drop boulders on the English force. Okay, cool. Inflicting heavy losses. Mm. Then in May, at the Battle of Ludon Hill. Mm. This time, he set his forces up at the end of a narrow causeway mm. that provided the only route through boggy marshland. Mm. After all, this was Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, so they have enough boggy marshland in in order for this to be a viable tactic. Yeah. 
they then provoked the English into attacking by questioning the um, virtue of their mothers, mm-hmm. uh, making farting noises, <laughs> and suggesting that the ale that you could get south of the border was weak as piss. Um, the English soldiers... Fair enough. They were incensed. <laughs> they were. Do they write a strongly worded letter of disgust? Uh, they did, but when the okay. uh, Scottish visibly used it as toilet paper at the other end of the causeway. Say, did they wipe their asses with it? Yeah, go on. Uh, they decided to attack. Okay. But the choice of terrain forced the English soldiers to march in a narrow column, which neutralised the numerical advantage. Mm. Uh, allowing the Scottish spearmen, because they'd set up with spearmen at the front, to just skewer English knights in nice little groups of approximately ten at a time before wow. using the spear to just nudge them into the bog before the <laughs> next them in. before the next ten mm-hmm. came and then he stabbed those and nudged them into the bog and you can imagine it was a bit like a conveyor belt of death mm-hmm. until the English got so depressed they ran away mm-hmm. as he, you would he would go on to notch another major victory against the Earl of Gloucester a few days later <clears throat> not Dr Foster in Gloucester no the Earl of Gloucester in, in for Gloucester. some reason went to Falkirk and it didn't go well no. No. Um, this resurgence in Scottish fortunes was so shocking that King Edward I promptly died a few weeks later, probably from a massive rage-induced aneurysm. Probably. It's like, I sorted this! What the... And his brain <laughs> had, popped. You had five times the amount of men! For the love of God, they were wearing skirts! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then his brain burst and he just keeled over and died. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Robert would have to continue waging war for another seven years before comprehensively defeating the English forces under Edward II mm. at the Battle of Bannockburn. And that's he... not how you'd say it, and you know it. Go on. No, if you want to, if you want to say it in a Scottish accent, be my guest. Bannockburn. Well, even if you know nothing of the Scottish Wars of Independence, you will have heard a Scotsman loudly proclaiming that they will do the English. Oh, like yeah. at the Battle of Bannockburn. And it doesn't matter if you're playing football or rugby. This is the the um, number one go-to metaphor for Scottish dominance. Oh, yes. Although the Battle of Bannockburn... Of Bannockburn! Thank you. ...did pretty much end all arguments about who was in control of Scotland, yep. it would take another 14 years and yet another Edward, Edward III, before the English formally admitted that they had lost. Eddie III. Yeah, Eddie III finally... Even though Eddie II had actually lost, okay. Eddie III was the one who was forced to finally admit via the signing of the Treaty of Edinburgh and Northampton in 1328. Mm. Unfortunately, and very unfairly, Robert the Bruce didn't get long to enjoy the peace he had fought so hard to achieve. Mm. He died the next year at only 54 years old. Oh, that is sad. But mind you, he had had a lot of stresses in his life. So yeah. It hadn't been the easiest life, no. No. This left his young son, David, as the new King of Scotland, as he was still a literal child at the time. Oh, my God. Oh, that's really sad now. The Earl of Moray was named Guardian until he came of age. Moray had been a close confidant of Robert and was well respected by the other Scottish lords. Mm. Doubly unfortunately, though, the Earl of Moray also died in 1332. Oh, my God. And in the confusion and power-broking that followed as the nobles tried to agree on who should be the new Guardian... Mm. Edward III took the opportunity to covertly support a man called Edward Balliol in claiming the throne. Mm. Edward's claim was based upon the fact that his father John Balliol 
had served as a puppet king for four pathetic years, having been literally handpicked by Edward I as a man with no possible chance of uniting the Scottish clans or disrupting English plans in any way. Fair enough. See, clans and plans. The plans weird thing is, plans. the Scottish invited Edward I to help them decide on who was going to be the new king because yeah. there was a bit of a dispute. And Edward I looked around the room mm-hmm. and saw the man cowering in the corner mm. who was trying to avoid eye contact and went, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. That's He'd the guy that I can have under my thumb from day one. Uh-huh. And he, he put him in charge of Scotland and it went about as well as you'd expect. Yeah. Learning nothing from the eventual fate of his father, mm-hmm. who was humiliated, um, they ripped the Scottish coat of arms from his, his jacket, so they humiliated him. Uh, wow. And he was exiled, as people thought so little of him that he was not even considered to be worth executing. <gasps> And it's like, then we'd have a body to deal with. Why don't you just piss off to France? You're not even worth it. Yeah, you're not worth killing. I don't think you're going to raise a revolution against us because look Christ. at you. Covered in your own piss and shit. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. <clears throat> uh, yes, um, learning nothing from his dad, mm-hmm. Edward Balliol launched his own campaign to take the Scottish crown from young King David II in September 1332 mm-hmm. with a promise that the English... Because they'd signed a treaty, so they weren't actually allowed to fight, but they'd assist where they could. Read, we'll provide you with weapons and, you know, some men who won't be um, under British colours and Mm -hmm. resources Mm. and money. Mm. Uh, He was forced to flee back to England naked in the December. Oh, my God. Following defeat at the Battle of Anan. Right. So Edward III sent him off with a load of support and within three months... He was back in York, literally naked, on a horse. Okay. Um, having lost everything that he'd been given. So Edward III kind of scratched his head and went, do you know what? Sod it, since one of the English uh, followed treaties and Edward Balliol was able to return uh, early in 1333, this time with open English support. Mm. This kicked off the Second War of Scottish Independence. Just four years after the first one had ended. Yes, because this story takes place during the second one. So we're there. We're in the second war of Scottish independence, okay? Yeah. We excited? No. It's already taken forever. (laughs) Six (laughs) years into this war. And I don't even know who David is now. You've got King David II of Scotland. He's the current holder of the Scottish throne. You've got Edward Balliol, who is the person who wants to take it, and he's being supported... By Edward III of England. And who was the kid? David II of Scotland. He's the king, but he's a kid. So he had help. Oh, God. Six years into this war, Mm. on the 13th of January, 1338, an English army commanded by William Montague, who had been campaigning in Scotland for five years by this point, and had just earned the title the Earl of Salisbury, due to his many... That's nowhere near Scotland. No, 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 but this was from Edward III, had given him the earldom of Salisbury because he'd been doing so well at killing Scottish people. Right. Uh, he arrived at Dunbar Castle on the east coast of Scotland. Mm-hmm. It was less than 30 miles from Berwick-upon-Tweed, where the English had <laughs> believed they had won the war in 1333. You wouldn't let me go to Berwick-upon-Tweed. I wanted to go to Berwick-upon-Tweed, and I've since seen pictures of Berwick-upon-Tweed, and I'm very sad. We'll go next time. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, they thought they'd won the war in 1333 at Berwick-upon-Tweed after routing a massive Scottish army who were attempting to break a siege. The Earl of Salisbury had been part of that English force and believed that the taking of Dunbar Castle would be a relatively quick and easy job in comparison. Not only was the Lord of the Castle, Patrick Dunbar, away campaigning against the English in the north, but he'd taken almost all of his men, leaving behind a token skeleton garrison of soldiers under the command of his wife, Agnes. Oh, I love Agnes. What a name. This was reinforced... If we were ever to have, we won't, because we can't, um, no more children, but if if we were to have another child, I'd want to call her Agnes. I feel this story will only strengthen that feeling. Okay. okay? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so she's got a skeleton guards, basically. She's got some guards with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, however, reinforced by a dozen ladies-in-waiting and a full complement of servants. Mm-hmm. So she's doing well. The Earl of Salisbury lined up his 20,000 men in front of the castle and naturally assumed that the terrified women inside would quickly surrender in the face of such an overwhelming force. At this point, it's probably worth mentioning Agnes's heritage. Okay. Her father was the unfortunate Earl of Moray, whose death had kicked off the war in the first place. Oh, my God. Her husband had been in charge of Berwick Castle in 1333, and after the defeat, he had been forced to watch as the castle was razed to the ground before Edward III told him he would have to pay to have it rebuilt. Right. So they literally knocked his castle down in front of him and then said, see that? You're going to have to pay for that. Yeah, that's very much child's play is all mm. I can say. That's that's something that our little one would do to the bigger one. Yeah. And then go, I'm, I rebuild it, give me chocolate. <laughs> I can just imagine, I can just imagine it now. Her brother, meanwhile, was the man responsible for forcing Edward Balliol to run away naked on horseback following the Battle of Anan, mm. all the way to Carlisle, which is 20 miles of hard riding without a saddle in December while naked. His nethers would be nether no more. Yeah, after that, he was known as Edward, I don't have a cock anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Edward Flatballs. <laughs> Edward Saddle Saw. <laughs> Oh, Edward sits on a donut balliol. If anything, though, Agnes was more formidable than any of her male relatives. Good. And was determined that it would not be her who let the side down. She was known as Black Agnes due to her dark complexion Mm -hmm. and black hair and had insisted that she take control of Dunbar Castle so that her husband could go out and fight in the field against the English. Mm -hmm. So initially, Patrick had been like... Well, you know, this is a very strategic position. This mm. is just north of Edinburgh. We really need to hold this, mm. so I'll stay. And she went, no. Patrick, go on. Go away. Go on. I've got... Leave. You're getting under me feet, Patrick. Mm-hmm. I've got this. Go and do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. We'll be here when you get back. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. This proved to be a shrewd decision. As throughout 1337, the English were steadily being pushed backwards. Mm-hmm. With the cost of the war and the threat from the French... Because we were almost at war with the French. Of course we were. Uh, It was starting to erode the English resolve to place Balliol on the throne. Mm -hmm. So the thought was, if the Scottish could just make it awkward enough for long enough, the French would start a war with the English, or the English would start a war with the French, and Mm -hmm. suddenly that's your priority. Because at this time, England still had a lot of holdings in mainland Europe up against what was then France, Mm. in what is now France. 
which I think tells you how the Hundred Years' War finally ended. France. Um, yeah, France. Um, the attack on Dunbar was intended to be part of a last gasp, lightning-fast offensive mm. up the East Coast to try and revive English fortunes. And it relied on Dunbar Castle being taken quickly so that it could act as a staging post for the English forces. Wow. So this is the linchpin, mm-hmm. basically. If they get Dunbar Castle, they've got a place where they can start to restock troops as they're marching north. This will be a massive get for them. So, when Agnes declined to surrender the castle to the Earl of Salisbury, he was pretty miffed. Especially as she apparently chose to do so in the form of a poem, shouting down from the battlements, Mm -hmm. Of Scotland's king I have my house, he pays me meat and fee, and I will keep my good old house while my house will keep me. Amazing. Mm. So she just, you know, it's not the best poem, but... You know, facing an army of 20,000, I think she did well to get those few lines off. Mm-hmm. Figuring that this was just a show of bravado, Salisbury had his men set up a line of mangonels that had been brought via ship to Dunbar Harbour to help expedite any siege, though he probably hoped the sight of this heavy weaponry would be enough to change the mind of Black Agnes. Mm. So a mangonel is like, um, it's a catapult, but with a, a bar, a wooden bar that shoots up rather than just rope that flings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he had a line of mangonels. Agnes, though, she didn't seem to be all that concerned. And she disdainfully just went back to her daily tasks as if there wasn't a massive military force just milling around on the doorstep. Wow. So she sort of looked at them and went, Aye? You're not a threat. <laughs> and then just went back inside to do a knitting or mm-hmm. dusting or to, you know, organise what they were going to eat for that week. The mangonels were capable of firing huge boulders at Dunbar Castle, which they began doing at regular intervals. Mm. However, the castle walls had been well built and were incredibly thick. So even after days of constant bombardment, there was no sign of any serious damage. Amazing. At all. Even more annoyingly for the English attackers, Mm. every evening after the shattered mangonel crews stopped firing for the day, Black Agnes would lead her ladies-in-waiting up onto the battlements where they would theatrically dust off the slightly scuffed stonework with their freshly cleaned white handkerchiefs. <laughs> Probably tutting as they did so. Oh, you, oh, you'll pay for that. Slight scuff. You bastard, you. <laughs> After a month or two of this, and probably having exhausted the local supply of boulders, mm-hmm. Salisbury decided he'd need to try a change of strategy. He it took him that long... <laughs> Well, you know, any day now, any day those mangonels are going to do it. Of course, the mangonel crews, by this time, two months into a, um, you know, sort of like a meat-rich diet Mm -hmm. where all they're doing is hooking boulders around the place, they now look like absolute grocks. Mm -hmm. So I'm surprised his next tack wasn't just to have them run at the castle and rip it apart by hand. But no, he unveiled his super-secret siege engine. Uh, it was essentially a movable covered ladder that would allow his men access to the battlements where right. they would be able to square up against the uh, infuriating ladies. Mm-hmm. Those damned women. Bloody women. And the, it, the ju- stupid handkerchiefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, why, do you clean, why, why do you wash them every day? You're only rubbing them against stone. They're only getting dirty again. I've never seen you blow your nose. <laughs> This siege weapon mm-hmm. was nicknamed the Sow. Okay. Because it was full of little piglets. Was it? 
Well, the English soldiers were referring to themselves as piglets in this scenario. Oh, wow. Who's a fun little piggy? I am. Weird, I know. Black Agnes and the Defenders watched as the sow, heavily laden with armed troops, Mm. or death piglets, as we might call them, Mm -hmm. trundled (laughs) towards the castle walls. Then, as soon as it was directly below them, Agnes ordered that her guards return some of the many, many boulders that had been thrown over the previous months. These boulders effectively crushed the sow flat, killing and maiming a good few of the English soldiers in the process. These were the first reported casualties of the entire siege. So, at this point, it's Agnes Dozens, Salisbury... None. Big Fat Donut. Mm-hmm. Salisbury and some of his elite guards came to the gates to complain that Agnes was not playing fair and had resorted to dirty tricks. What dirty tricks? She hadn't done nothing. Well, I say that they complained. I believe Salisbury was going to, until Agnes had one of her archers stick an arrow in the heart of the guard standing immediately to Salisbury's right, who killed over dead. As one does. To be fair to Salisbury, he didn't immediately soil himself. He kept his cool... And he even managed a little quip, saying, There comes one of my lady's tyre pins. Agnes's love shafts go straight to the heart. So there's a little bit of low-key flirting between Agnes and there uh, is, Salisbury. isn't there? Yeah. Although, presumably, after he'd got his little quip away, he retired to a safe distance mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. order to plan his next move. Remembering the good old English tradition of resorting to dirty, underhanded tricks as yeah. soon as you couldn't win fairly, mm-hmm. the Earl of Salisbury managed to get a message to one of the Scottish guards. Right. He offered him a big bag of gold if he should happen to leave a side gate open at an agreed time. The guard said that it better be a bloody big bag of gold, but that he was up for the scheme in principle, mm-hmm. as it was preferable to being slowly starved to death over the course of the next few months. Fair enough. When the agreed time came, Salisbury led a small force to the side gate and was ecstatic to find that it was open. Salisbury was at the head of his men, but as they got closer, the whole thing got too exciting for one of his soldiers who wanted to just finally see some action after two and a half months of sitting around in camp, watching what was essentially rocks being thrown against other rocks. This eager soldier, possibly by the name of Leroy Jenkins... Leroy Jenkins! ...ran through the gate, which was immediately slammed shut behind him leaving him trapped and surrounded by Scottish guards. Oh, no. It was clear that the plan had been to trap the Earl of Salisbury. Yeah. But if Agnes was frustrated, she didn't show it. Instead, (laughs) she rushed to the battlements to taunt him. (laughs) Fair enough. Shouting down, Farewell, Montague. I intended that you should have supped with us and assisted us in defending the castle against the English. So, (laughs) again, low-key flirting. I know, right? I was going to give you a fancy dinner. Oh, ah, sucks to be you. Yeah. And then afterwards, oh, I was going to show you my sow. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- Realising that he was three months into what was supposed to be a quick capture of Dunbar Castle. And he was starting to get a little bit turned on. The Earl of Salisbury decided to just starve Agnes and her defenders out. Right. A naval blockade had been in place since the beginning. And although some brave or suicidal fishermen had managed to get in some supplies... They were now running dangerously low. Wow, okay. By the fourth month, there may have been a glimmer of hope for the English Mm. that they would, after all, capture the castle. Mm. Agnes was looking thinner, 
although she had lost none of her sarcasm, while negotiating with Salisbury. And every time she came out looking slightly thinner, he was going, oh, oh when I finally capture you, Agnes. I'm going to feed you up, you sow. <laughs> yeah. Once I've fed you back up to be my beautiful sow, then, <laughs> then Agnes. Uh, anyway, yeah, she'd lost none of her sarcasm while negotiating with Salisbury. Mm-hmm. However, the four months had allowed some of the Scottish forces to finally notice that Agnes might be in a need of a spot of help. Yeah. These forces were led by Sir Alexander Ramsay. Right. And the one thing you need to know about Sir Alexander Ramsay is he doesn't like to waste time and he believes in the direct approach. Good. Yep. He handpicked a small elite force of 40 men and gave up an entire two days to sort out the situation. <laughs> Very good. I like, like him. He's efficient. He's like, I've got a weekend free. Let's sort out this Agnes sitch. Yeah. That's what we're going to do this weekend. Mm-hmm. He marched to Edinburgh, commandeered a few boats, sailed 30 miles up the coast to Dunbar, evading the blockade and entering the castle with much needed supplies. He barely broke stride to say hello to Agnes before leading his force out the main gate, surprising the English with a lightning quick counterattack, which forced the English back to their camp. <laughs> because they didn't know what the hell was going on. Oh my God. This confusion in the English camp lasted long enough for further supplies to be brought in. Knowing that he was vastly outnumbered, though, because basically they'd run out screaming and the mm-hmm. English had turned tail before they'd seen how many Scotsmen had come out of the castle. Yep. And if they'd realised it was 40, they probably would have gone, is 20,000 bigger than 40? I don't know. And then one of the lieutenants or someone who'd had actual, you know, education would go, yes, I'm, yes. I, I believe it's significantly bigger than 40. So he knew that, you know, mm-hmm. this was, ah, and you've, you've bought yourself some time. Mm-hmm. Alexander fell back to the castle, closed the gate, told Agnes he'd be back in another four months if she still needed him, and sailed back to Edinburgh to rejoin his army. Oh, I love the efficiency. The efficiency has <laughs> given me joy. So all in all, he was probably at Dunbar Castle for about 10 minutes. So I don't mm. even see what the problem is. Here's some food. Rah, there you go. There's more food. OK, see you in a month. Bye. And off Love he went. Love you, bye. <laughs> we should do this again. Yeah. By the time the English returned to the castle to continue the siege, Agnes, because, you know, she's got a needle in, mm-hmm. she'd already set up an impromptu picnic on the battlements. <laughs> Spying Salisbury <laughs> below... She had some fresh bread and wine sent out to him so that he could join in the picnic. <laughs> Hello! Of Don't course, you if you want to come in, my, my Montague, my, my Earl, um, it's much nicer to sup up here on the battlements because you get such a lovely view of Dunbar Harbour. Come on, the sun's about to go down. Let's, let's, go, and, let's go and view it together. Oh. He, he declined. Okay. It had now been five months, mm-hmm. and Edward III was starting to complain about the cost of maintaining the siege, especially as he was about to start that fight with France and would need to redirect most of his funds to ensure a quick victory. Brilliant. That war eventually did start, and it's now remembered as the Hundred Years' War. Wow. So, may have overestimated how quickly he was going to beat the French in that one. Yeah. Yeah. This increased pressure forced Salisbury to turn to a very unchivalrous option. <gasps> oh, no. He was going to have to seduce Agnes for reals. Not for play-play? Not for play-play. Okay. The Lord Salisbury got into his best posing pouch. <laughs> God. 
piece and knickerbockers. Yeah. Had his faithful retainers oil him up in the finest of olive oils mm-hmm. till he glistened like, a, supple like a Grecian god in mm-hmm. the sun. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeded to set up a plinth just in front of the castle where he began doing poses. No, this is not true. Of course it's not true. It would be an amazing gambit, though. Yeah. And Agnes came out and licked all of the olive oil off him. And finally, the two could enjoy confusing love. Now, Agnes's brother, John Randolph, Mm -hmm. he'd been captured by the English during an ambush in 1336 Mm -hmm. and was being kept as a prisoner under quite nice conditions in Nottingham Castle. That was until Salisbury ordered that he be brought to Dunbar. Right. Now, John Randolph may have thought, oh, he wants me to negotiate with my sister. Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay. It means I'll get to see my sister. That'll be nice. Mm. He was probably slightly less positive when a makeshift gallows was erected in front of the castle. Oh, Jesus Christ. And a noose was placed around his neck. Oh, no. Salisbury then shouted up to Agnes that if she didn't open the gate right this Bally instant, Mm -hmm. he would hang her brother right then and there. What's Agnes going to do now? Well, Agnes assessed the situation Mm. and she calmly responded that should her brother be killed, as he had no children, then she would inherit the title and become the next Earl of Moray. So actually, what Salisbury was threatening her with was more lands and money Mm -hmm. and status just no love lost between her and her brother, though. Well, I think it was more a ploy, but she basically pointed out, what you're telling me is that you're going to make me more rich and powerful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm really scared, and I'm going to open the gate now. Fucking idiot. (laughs) And I imagine, after the initial shock wore off, John Randolph was chuckling to himself all the way back to Nottingham, because, Mm -hmm. of course, the Earl of Salisbury did not go through with that threat. No. Because... Aside from anything else, one of the unwritten laws of war, you know, during the Middle Ages was you don't kill the rich people. No. They are captives, you barter them. Plus, there were plenty of English lords who were currently being held in Scottish prisons. So Mm. if you suddenly break that convention and go, oh, we're just going to murder people for convenience, Mm. where does that stop? Suddenly you've got dead earls and dukes just littering up every prison Mm. all across the British Isles except Wales. With his final nuclear option having turned out to be a dud, the Earl of Salisbury finally admitted defeat and broke the siege on June 10th, 1388. It is reported to have cost Edward III over £6,000, which is astronomical for the time, Yep. for which he had lost a couple of hundred soldiers and had one of his most experienced commanders essentially out of action and humiliated Mm -hmm. by Black Agnes... (laughs) Dozens of times. Oh, God. And talking of Black Agnes, chivalrous to the end, she sent the Earl of Salisbury a consolation gift just before he marched off to show that there were no hard feelings. Oh, my God. I'm guessing with a little love note, with like, if you want to send me a letter, this is the guy to send it through. My husband will never know. Wink, wink. The Second Scottish War of Independence dragged on until 1357, Mm. during which time Agnes's brother was killed by the English in battle, meaning that Agnes and her husband did inherit the earldom of Moray after all. Black Agnes became a symbol of Scottish independence and defiance and was celebrated by the writing of a ballad, which ends with a rueful Earl of Salisbury lamenting. (laughs) Came I early, came I late, I found Agnes 
at the gate. <laughs> Agnes died in 1369. She hadn't had any children, so when Aww. her husband also died the following year, all of their lands and titles were passed on to their nephews, George, John, Paul and Ringo. I was going to say, Paul and Ringo, the Beatles? <laughs> no, they were just George and John, oh. but I quite like the mm-hmm. Paul and Ringo. Um, <laughs> yep. So that Aww. is the story of Black Agnes. Oh, you see, I, I, I just, I love a capable woman. More than a capable woman, a terrifying woman. Yeah. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.